Before we start the podcast today, we wanted to let you know about an upcoming event, Pure Desire's Redeemed Men's Conference, September 15th through 17th at Cascades Camp in Yelm, Washington. This will be a time to gather together as men, where we will worship together, hear world-class teachings, learn from experienced workshop speakers, and learn more about how to battle for purity in Christ. Come escape the noise and distraction of everyday life. Join us September 15th through 17th and rest in what Christ calls you, redeemed. To register, visit puredesire.org slash redeemed. We hope to see you there. Hey there, I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and we're so thankful you're taking time out of your day to hang out with us. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Nick Stumbo. Is this thing on? It is. It, hey. it is on. I'm so sorry to all our listeners who have to put up with Nick's opening lines, uh, but each week they are different, so congratulations on being unique. <laughs> I, I'm running out of material, though. I need a few suggestions. If listeners could send some in, I'd appreciate that. Yes, yes. Uh, Nick, is it Nick S at puredesire.org? Send That's right. your intros for Nick. Okay, well, let's get to why we're excited about this episode today. We're sitting here with a couple cool cats, Brian Roberts and Heather Kolb. Brian is our operations director and has been with Pure Desire for about 10 years, and Heather is our neuroscience specialist here on staff. Both of these guys are also on our speaking team, but today we're not going to talk about their speaking team role. We are excited to announce that they are now both authors of a book, and uh, we will get into that in just a minute. But Brian and Heather, we are excited to have you on the PD Podcast. It's good to be here. Thanks. Awesome. Well, okay, so today we're going to talk about uh, this new book by Brian and Heather that they've authored called Digital Natives, Raising an Online Generation. So we just want to talk about the resource, get to know a little bit of the heart behind why you guys are writing this resource, and uh, really we're trying to get people to see that they need this resource, that this needs to be a conversation that's started. So uh, let's just start with this. Can you guys give us just a summary about what this book, Digital Natives, is about and where the idea for this resource came from? Sure. So... um Basically, Digital Natives, the goal is to answer the question, how can we help this current generation uh, deal with the issue of Internet pornography and and really have healthy Internet use? And so that kind of started with me, I think. And um, I started looking at a lot of different resources that are available and found there's a lot of missing pieces, I think. I think um, what's out there today doesn't answer the question of sort of the generational gap where, like, my kids, I have a 11-year-old and a 15-year-old, um, they don't know a world without the internet, and so they would be considered digital natives. And whereas I grew up, um, you know, the internet entered my life in 1992 in high school, and even then it was nothing like it is today. And so this is a, this is a challenge with the internet. You have parents who are trying to parent kids um, that their world is vastly different than uh, the world that, that we grew up in. And then I, I think the other, and there's not a lot of resources that address that. I think the other challenge, too, is very few resources that I've read speak to the issue of uh, the purpose and of the Internet and how it works. Uh, most people would identify the Internet by how they use it. So, like, Nick, how, how do you use the Internet in a, in a given day? You know, I'm still old school. It's a lot about email. <laughs> a lot of email. Primarily email. <laughs> um, maybe to check up on a few sports scores. Uh, occasionally it's the way I get news and then catch up with family and friends on something like Facebook. Right. And, and so that's, that's what most people consider the Internet is their social media, their, their entertainment, um, communication. But really the Internet is, is really nothing about that. It, that's what it delivers. But it is built for the purpose of advertising. It is the best advertising um, that the world has ever known. 
uh, and, and may ever know, uh, it's, it's very good at it. And the, the, the side of that that's a little challenging is that how it affects us socially because it's targeted advertising and because uh, sites want to keep you on as long as possible. There are some really interesting uh, social and um, uh, mental side effects that happen. Uh, and so that's why we brought Heather on because she's our, she is our resident uh, brain uh, nerd. And so we said, you know, hey, can you be involved in this process writing the book? Because there's so many things that we see how this is, help, how this is affecting us environmentally. Yeah. So Heather, what is your role in, in writing this book? What perspective are you bring into the resource? So my role is to mostly draw out how the internet and online use is affecting kids with their socialization skills, really how it plays into their um, psychological and mental health, and really how in a lot of ways it's um, kind of undoing some of these fundamental skills that that people have to have and we have a whole entire generation that is being raised without these skills because of the internet so that's kind of my role yeah and i, I mean honestly like i'm super excited to read it I, i'm super excited to finally get a copy and, and start doing it you know because i know that my kid who's only six months now will for his entire life be a digital native like he will know he will never know a world without the internet and without everything that's going on so i'm looking forward to this resource for sure you know, with any challenge that's out there, there's always a pendulum swing. So, like, because the Internet's everywhere and in everything, some parents or people listening to this podcast might be feeling like the best reaction is just to try to shut down the Internet and not let their kids on it. And they have a really kind of a fear of their kids being digital natives. And so their response is to try to just, like, eliminate the Internet or keep it from their kids. What, what do you say to a parent that's maybe in that place of they're swinging to that extreme of we're just going to keep our kids off the Internet? Yeah, that, that's a question that probably at most events we get, uh, I get more than any other question is how do, I, how do I get my kids off the internet? And unfortunately, the answer is you don't. Mm -hmm. There's always access for the internet somewhere. And so what our goal and, and a big chunk of the book um, that we're writing is how do we have healthy internet use? And so I, I would probably use the analogy, my, my daughter who's 15 just got her driver's permit. And so we are, my wife and I are very uh, slowly but surely getting around the road. And we'll be praying for you. Thank you. Yes, yeah. it's, a, it's a little scary at times. And, uh, and, and, you know, I could have the response when she got her driver's permit of, you know what, that it is so dangerous. People are injured in car accidents all the time. This seems like a really bad idea. Um, I, I think we're just going to not let you drive. And, you know, when you're 18, you can, you can figure it out when you're on your own. And, and I think that same analogy applies um, as we've raised our kids, we've been, uh, my wife and I have been very intentional about making sure that they are a critical part of deciding how we use the internet. So when we look at um, filters and accountability software, they're, they're a part of which one should we choose as a family and how are we going to use it as a family? Because my goal, I have, you know, my daughter's probably in the house for the three to four years tops. And so whether it's her driving or internet use, uh, I have three more years of influence on her where I'm directly influencing her and my son, you know, um, a few more than that. But I want to capitalize on that time and make sure that um, I'm using it as best as possible. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I have four kids and it seems like if as parents we choose the route to say, well, we're just going to keep you away from the internet, then they're going to learn about it somewhere from someone else. And it actually, 
um, takes away my opportunity as a parent to be a part of their training and to be able to give them healthy guidelines and standards and practices so that avoidance out of fear isn't helping in the long run. It's, it's going to hurt them. And I appreciate the way you guys are, are bringing that up. Uh, so for our listeners, help us understand who's this book for? Is the book for the kids? Is the book for the parents? Is it for the church? It, is it for all the above? How, how would you describe the audience of this book? So we feel that this book is for parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents and youth leaders, pastors, counselors, teachers, really anybody who would have influence or mentor this younger generation. They need to know this information. So it's not just for parents. It's for anyone that will be working with kids growing up with the Internet generation. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you have an influence on a youth, uh, this is something you should read. And, and I think uh, in, in my own process of writing uh, the pieces that I wrote, and we've done a lot of research, um, there's been some really interesting things to me. And I've looked at the Internet. It sort of changed how I perceive the Internet and how I view targeted ads, how I view social media. Um, it's It does give even parents, I think, a, a different look at that. Very cool. Well, okay, so uh, some people who know who Pure De- what we do, what Pure Desire does, we're a sexual addictions ministry. Uh, when we write a resource that's aimed at talking to the younger generation, uh, I think sometimes some people would say, you know, I really do know that pornography is, is there, is available for them all the time. But then there may be some people out there who don't realize the presence that pornography has today in the younger generation. Can you just speak to that, that presence? Yeah, you know, I, a lot of people will say, well, how many, you know, how many kids do you think on an average are struggling with the issue of porn by the time they leave high school? And I, I would say 100%. Like, it's not even, it's no longer a question of when with your kids. It is a question, I'm sorry, it's not longer a question of if. <laughs> yeah. It's a question Exposure's of Exposure's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so, you know, we talk a lot about um, impure desire. And, and in this resource, we touch on this too, about um, healthy sexual education um, and also healthy internet education. So at, at age six, really, um, you should be teaching kids about God's design for sexuality. Where do babies come from? How does my body work? And age appropriate, of course. And there's a lot of great resources um, for sexual education that we endorse. Uh, but also the internet, like what can I expect to see? And why why is pornography there? What does it benefit? And, and who is it for? And why is it uh, why is it developed? And so those things um, are really key, knowing that your kids are going to see it. It's, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And the goal is, what is their response going to be? I think, I think probably one of my favorite um, stories about that that is in our family, my, um, I guess it's not my favorite, but favorite one to tell. Uh, my nephew uh, encountered internet porn on a friend's iPhone or um, iPod on the bus at age seven. And, you know, that's that's a very young age and it doesn't make any sense. And fortunately, the very first person he talked to about it was his dad. And I believe that's because his dad and him had been talking about the human body and sexuality for over a year. So it felt like a normal conversation to him. And even though it's unbelievably unfortunate that that is his first exposure um, to pornography at, at such a young age, um, thank goodness his dad had already talked to him about it. Thank goodness he went and talked to his dad because he's likely, if he's like most of the kids whose parents don't talk about human sexuality, likely to talk to a friend or someone else. So let me ask you a follow-up question then on that. What is the appropriate age to start that conversation with your kids? 
we would say age six or as soon as they start asking questions. My daughter was a little younger. Uh, she was the firstborn and had a million questions. And at age five, she wanted to know where babies came from. And mm. so we got a book and we started going through it. I, I would recommend um, that you start educating with the opposite gender. So my wife has been educating my son up until about two years ago when, you know, puberty's getting close and now it's my turn. And my daughter, until she was about nine, we read through all the sexual education books and then my wife took over after that. Mm. The goal is that it's a normal family discussion. Not that we're going to bring it up at every meal, but sure. like it's not a weird thing. When someone asks a question about human sexuality, the room doesn't go silent and everybody go, oh yeah. my gosh, I can't believe you just said that. Yeah. But that it's a normal conversation and that my daughter is comfortable talking to the opposite sex about sexuality. I want that to be a normal conversation for her family as well and yeah. my son as well. Hmm. Yeah, I think one of the temptations we face as parents is we want to believe that if we're raising our kids right and taking them to church and doing good things that our kids won't struggle. Like, well, this isn't not in our family. And, but when we do that, we're kind of sticking our heads in the sand and ignoring what's happening out there because in some of the very best families uh the struggles get hidden in the families that think oh we're perfect and don't talk about it it gets just like you're saying shoved under the rug and it what i'm excited about this book is it sounds like you guys are really going to give parents and educators and grandparents the tools to open up these conversations which is so important so um what what are the obstacles or difficulties that you guys see in trying to lead the younger generation into emotional and sexual health because those aren't conversations everyone's having right now. So what, what challenges or obstacles can people expect to face? So there's definitely a concern among scientists today that kids are using online communication more than they're using face-to-face communication, which is inhibiting a very strong socialization skill that they're going to need. In fact, it's one of the ways that we develop, all of us develop um, empathy is through face-to-face and interaction. So for example, when I say something, when I'm having a face-to-face conversation with someone and I say something that perhaps unintentionally hurts their feelings, I know right away based on their facial expression and the tone of their voice that I've done something wrong and I need to fix this and I can right then and there start to work to restore the relationship. With online communication, we don't have that. We don't see that. And again, the internet was not designed to teach your kid empathy. Yeah. So we're creating a bunch of internet trolls because it's easy to just say what you want, however you want to whoever you want, and you don't have to be there to see their reaction or how it hurts people. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, an, an emoji is not the same. Yeah. You, know, it's, <laughs> you, can, you, yeah. you can you can give somebody a smile and, it, and it's, it's a world of difference. Yeah. You can't communicate tone on it you can't communicate context anything yeah it is and it's interesting because that's not just a problem with kids today i think that's a problem with the millennial generation as well and the older generations who are diving into this online age and so i think it's a a good thing to address for sure in everyone's life yeah and and you know on that on that same tone we talk extensively i mentioned right up front too that the internet is the best form of advertising that the world has ever known and and part of why that works is how the internet works. And we talk about that a lot in that the internet, if you're going to advertise, people buy on emotion. In fact, about 40% of online sales are based on an emotional purchase when they've done studies. And so internet companies know that and they want to make you very impulsive. And they also want the focus to be you. 
So when you look at um, how that affects us uh, as a society, and like you said, the more not just uh, Gen Z and, and millennials are online, but, but everyone's online, the, the more isolated we become because when we have self-focus and we're impulsive, um, communication's usually not the best. It's not the most empathic. We're really not thinking about other people. And so we talk a lot about that in the book, too, uh, how, you know, that's one of the obstacles, as, as Heather mentioned, we have to overcome is the, the Internet is literally training us to be that way. So you guys mentioned this challenge, this obstacle of um, this generation maybe losing empathy, the ability to really relate to people. I imagine some parents might be listening to this and they're thinking, but I have better conversations with my teenager through text than face to face. We they're they're more willing to share or be open. What, what would you say to that parent that's finding, well, I can communicate through text, but they're kind of re- then they realize, but I'm reinforcing that lack of human communication and empathy. What what about the parent that's maybe stuck in that place a little bit? I would encourage them to um, to give it a try to put your cell phone down and and talk to your kid face to face and be intentional because it could be that. They feel that they have better communication, but they haven't really tried or, you know, put the effort out to maintain that face-to-face connection. It really is one of the things that that parents, well, and like we've been talking about, everyone, we learn emotional response through face-to-face interaction. And so if your kids, as a parent, if your kids never see what it looks like to be sad or frustrated or even happy or excited, then they're not learning, again, these important tools that they need in order to effectively communicate throughout their life. Yeah. I think it's important to, to say that text messaging is not bad, that <laughs> online stuff is not bad, but right. there is a potential opportunity to mask vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Like I can hide behind my words if I'm not sitting in front of somebody where I otherwise wouldn't be able to if I was sitting, you know, with anybody having a conversation. Yeah, we, you know, and we point that out right at, right off the bat that um, I, I think uh, another good analogy with, with the automobile is that, you know, the Internet as the automobile was for the 20th century is really the, the biggest invention we've had in the 21st century and is radically changing how we do life. I don't think people are willing to give up their cars now, whether they're, you know, we have car accidents or things that may have come along with it or that are negative. Um, it's simply that it's a fact of life. And how do we how do we deal with it positively? We text message our kids all the time. There's amazing amount of safety in the fact that knowing I could get a hold of my kid right away. Right. Whereas when I was growing up, my parents were like, well, he's around somewhere, you know. So, so I mean, there, there's that piece that's very good. But um, I think it's the fact that it doesn't replace it. Yeah. You know, like when we walked in here today, Trevor, you're like, okay, everybody turn off your cell phones. Because, you know, we all recognize that this podcast is important and we don't want to be interrupted by that. And so that's, you know, same thing is true at our at our dinner table. Like if I'm having a face-to-face conversation with you, but I'm holding my phone in my hand that says to you, I'm going to talk to you, but you know what? You're really not as important as this thing right here, which is somebody that isn't in front of me and and really isn't a part of this conversation. So I I think it's about, yes, these tools are amazing. They're great. They're not evil. That's, that's not the point, but they don't replace the work that should happen normally within a relationship. Yeah. So then because what you're doing is you're presenting these obstacles or these, I guess, perceived obstacles to connecting with the next generation. So what are some ways to overcome that? If we're talking about text messages, if we're talking about having your phone on you all the time, if we're talking about consistently going through social media, whatever it may be, how do we overcome, how do we hurdle those obstacles in order to get 
to the next generations? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, um, and there's there's a lot of uh, pieces to that. I mean, some of the some of the main one main ones that we identify. Um, number one, expect your kids to struggle. That's that's just the bottom line. Expect that you are going to have to um, be intentional about, like I said, cell phone usage and having rules that um, are relational rules. They're not uh, punitive rules like, okay, you brought your cell phone to the table, so now you've lost it for a month. I mean, maybe if it's if it's a it's a real chronic problem, that's an issue. But these rules are about relationship. I'm much more interested in saying you've brought your cell phone to the table. Can you explain to the rest of us how you think we feel about that? Um, and you know, even though some of these things are not inherently bad, um, they can become bad. I mean, obviously, pornography doesn't really have any good purpose. But like my son, a great example is uh, Minecraft. And it's a great, I think it's a great game. It's kind of, for those who aren't familiar, it's like digital Legos. I mean, it's, he's got an engineering mind. And so he spent hours on this. And, and so we have limited screen time, um, mostly because a couple of times he'll be on there. My wife will say, Hey son, can you stop for a moment, empty the garbage? And he'll say, not now, mom. And then we all have to stop as parents, which is something we don't want to do because we're busy too. And we have to stop and say, okay, Okay, how come Steve, who is the main character of Minecraft, how come he is more important and he's in a digital world and mom is less important? Yeah. Let's talk about that. So I think having really pragmatic um, relational approaches to how do we use these things and what are the rules. And, and that kind of leads into the, the next thing that we tell people is you have to have family values. The, the family has to agree upon what is our value? We value people in person more than we do online. Mm-hmm. We value time together and good conversations. You know, some of those things. Um, the other one that's really big and really tough is parenting by example. Um, in the process of writing this book, I was actually writing something, and I was in my office, which is in my my uh, um, bedroom and my wife is texting my daughter who's in the next room like honey i'm actually writing about this right <laughs> now like could you <laughs> do we <laughs> need to like, take that out uh, of this like, <laughs> maybe i don't know maybe i should <laughs> sorry but um you know we're not perfect uh we're not perfect parents uh but but we do have to lead by example and and yeah. it's really important when we recognize that not to say oh my gosh i've messed up get it right just say Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mom. Mom didn't really think about that. I, I could have just walked over to your room, knocked on your door. That would have yeah. been that violated our family value. I'm sorry. I, I should. Yeah. You know. I should do that. And I'm. I'm just as guilty. I've done that. The same thing. Being in my one room, texting somebody another one. Yeah. And I. And I think the other one that has really been helpful for us um, is to let our kids be the experts. We, as I mentioned earlier, they're a part of choosing the online software filtering that we use. Um, deciding is that appropriate? Is that not appropriate? My son is very sensitive to foul language and so we're watching movies we're you know we're like okay yeah sorry yep we should shut this movie off We've, that's the third time we've heard that word we don't yeah. we don't need to you have shouldn't that. show die hard to I, young kid, so Brian. I, don't, I don't understand why you do that <laughs> yeah i know yeah and and then i guess the last thing uh, and there's a, a bunch of other things but one other really key thing is the mentorship process along with educating your kids about sexuality um we need to be mentoring them and and two fabulous resources i would point out because the pure desire resources is behind the mask for young women and and top gun for young men Mm -hmm. these are not sexual education resources they are mentoring resources where we say now that you understand your sexuality and who god created you to be how are you going to steward that gift of sexuality so what i'm hearing though is it's 
it's not just a one conversation and you're golden for the rest of this kid's life. It's a consistent commitment that you as either a parent or a leader or a mentor are making uh, and staying faithful and intentional with that throughout. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, parenting is really hard work I'm finding out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's amazing as we try to develop these healthy habits in our home, it does cause us to look at as the adult, what healthy habits do I have? Because if my kids are saying, Dad, I thought there was no screen time, and then I'm justifying why I need screen time, but they don't get it, 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 it does make you pause and go, hmm, what, what have I allowed to become maybe normal in my life that shouldn't be? Because I need to model for my kids, and I need to be present with them. And uh, So for the, those that are going to read this book, what, what will they learn about fostering vulnerability and healthy habits? Because maybe for some listeners, they feel like, I can see what you guys are talking about and I can see why it's good, but you don't realize how far away from that we are. Like, I just don't know how to do that in my home. What are they going to learn? What kind of steps and habits would you talk about them developing? So we will have several different types of plans or programs that they can implement in their home. And like you said, if they're a long way from that, it might be that you focus on one thing at a time because you can't fix everything overnight and you can't fix everything, you know, at once. But even simple things like establish areas in your home that that you designate as cell-free Um, cell phone free zones that in this area we don't bring our phones we don't use our phones when we're in here it's because it's all about face-to-face communication and building relationship the other things are which is really hard again because parents you know if you set that as a family value or that this is something that we're going to try to do then you have to obey that as well you know what i mean set that standard be a good model for them other things um, and this one is really really hard for people but it's one of the very common things that you read in the research is to establish boundaries healthy boundaries for your kids such as you know no cell phones in the bedroom especially at nighttime because kids who teenagers need 10 hours of sleep a night aren't getting it because every time that their phone dings, buzzes, whatever it does, up until mid-hours of the morning, they're waking up, they're checking their phones, and they're not getting the sleep that they need. In fact, some parents are probably guilty of that as well. So yeah, it's establishing sitting, sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> it's establishing healthy habits, not just for our kids, but for us too, and really putting a priority on, you know, where does our cell phone use or our internet use fall in what we determine is, is healthy lifestyle choices. Yeah, that's so good. And it's interesting because I think uh, when you talk about mentoring, when you talk about discipleship, when you talk about parenting, I think a lot of people assume that it's a one-way relationship as far as what's being learned and developed in life. Um, And I haven't been a parent for very long, but in mentorship and discipleship, I realized I gained just as much, if not more, than who I'm mentoring, who I'm parenting, who I'm discipling. And so uh, I guess for the listeners out there who are maybe thinking like, gosh, there's just so much work I'm going to have to do hold on. It's going to be okay. God's going to teach you some really cool things through it. And I think that's important for us to remember mm-hmm. for sure. Very cool. Okay. So with discipleship, with mentorship, with parenting, uh, right now, a, a huge thing in our world, probably the biggest thing right now in our world is social media. Um, if you're not on it, you're in, you know, the minority. And so with that, and that's, this is a great question because I think that I actually want, I'm like looking forward to your answer, kind of like biting my teeth, just waiting. But, um, what does it look like to disciple, to mentor, to parent your kids in this social media age? Yeah, that, that's a, social media is a huge piece of it. Um, and, 
again, it's it's this idea that social media is a tool and it, and it has its function. Um, but also you have to understand that you are the product of that tool. There is an advertising agent behind it that wants to know everything they possibly can about you so that they can advertise to you. They also, the sort of twist on that um, that's different from social media and just like, say, Google search because Google knows everything about us and they advertise to us all the time. The, the difference with social media is they not only want to know everything about you, but they want to keep you on their site as long as possible. The longer you're on that site, the more ads you're going to see and yeah. the more ads that you'll see that are targeted directly at you. So in light of that, we talk to our kids about, hey, it's really cool that we can go see um, my uncle and aunt live a, a ways away or they're actually my wife's family uh, lives a ways away. It's great. We can see their photos and stuff like instantly um, what they're doing this weekend. That is really cool. We should call them this afternoon or do a video chat. So we're reinforcing this idea of face-to-face conversation or at least over the phone conversation Mm -hmm. to tie through social media. The danger in social media is when you begin to replace your normal, emotionally healthy relationships with believing that social media is an emotionally healthy relationship. When you spend your time saying, how many likes did I get for what I posted there? How much you know, did people post on my comment? And mm-hmm. we, we start to get this back to this self-focus piece. And we are only looking at ourselves. And, you know, Facebook, it, it was interesting. Some of the studies that we looked at, um, Facebook is doing the largest uh, uh, social experiments ever known to man. I mean, um, people from all sorts of universities are flocking for free to Facebook to evaluate the results to say what this means. Because you know, in a normal um, uh, survey that uh, psychologists or sociologists will do, if they have a hundred subjects, that's huge. Facebook has millions, yeah. and they're. And if you want to know, you know, have I been the subject of that? If you've had a Facebook account, the answer is yes, many times. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah. So, so. They're altering the world that you see through your feed to gain um, what they want from you. And, and that's okay so long as you know it and then you know it's not real. Um, there's nothing wrong with going to a movie and seeing some sort of sci-fi fantasy but if you walk out of the movie thinking that's real, you're gonna have some problems. You know, <laughs> you might want to come to Pure Desire Counseling. Yeah, yeah, you might want to come to Pure Desire yeah. Counseling. I, I remember, I remember watching. Um, I think it was one of the Matrix series, and it was like so cool. And I got out of my the theater, and I went to get in my car and drive off. And I was driving like a madman because like the movie's so fast and action. And I think, wait, okay, no, I live in the real world. Things move at a different pace. There's real people involved. So, I think with social media, the real challenge is how can I help my kids see what it really is use it for what it's worth and still relate to people um, in an emotionally healthy way. That's good. Well, this is all such good stuff, you guys. And I know that um, you're going to expound on all these topics and more in the book. And so people need to get the resource. They need to read it. They need to have it in their minds as they work with uh, kids and teens, whether they're parents or youth pastors. Uh, so every episode, we like to kind of ask a closing question, uh, you know, what, what final tip, what piece of advice? So uh, we're there for this episode. What's one tip or piece of advice that you want to give parents and leaders who are listening and they're feeling unsure of how to approach their kids or students? What, what would you want to leave them with in this podcast? So we would recommend that when you broach any kind of topic, whether it's pornography, um, sexting, which is a big problem with teens today, and internet use, no matter what the topic, if you start a conversation with your kid, listen. Don't try and fix it. Don't try and tell them that they're not entitled to their feelings. 
reinforce their feelings, be sensitive, model empathy. But listening is a huge, huge goal when it comes to building relationship. And again, the foundation of helping your kids navigate the internet comes from that that foundation, from the relationship. And I, and I would uh, add to that, start at the earliest age possible. Um, start listening um, and asking questions um, as, as soon as you think that they're ready. And, and listen, especially at a young age, because they might be ready sooner than you think. Uh, you know, when they when they say, well, what is this or what does this mean? Um, don't go, oh, my gosh, uh, let's not talk about that. Let, think about, oh, yeah, let's let's have a conversation about that. Where did you hear that? And like like Heather said, listen, see, see what they know uh, so that that you can help them as best as possible. Yeah, guys, this was awesome. Uh, thanks for being here with us and thanks for writing the resource. I mean, the resource, I think, is very, very needed. And uh, we're looking forward to its release and and picking that up. So thanks for being on with us. Thanks. Thanks. If you want to pre-order a copy of Digital Natives, visit puredesire.org slash digital dash natives. And thank you for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to keep up with the podcast, please subscribe and check out our website, puredesire.org. Also, you can follow us on social media at puredesirepdmi. Once again, that is at puredesirepdmi. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. For more information, check out our website, www.puredesire.org. Check in each week for new content on the podcast, and we pray that it will help you find hope and freedom on your journey to purity.